Hey there, welcome back to Great Quarter Guys, the show where the lines between freight, finance, and tech are none. I'm your host, Andrew Cox, Senior Retail Analyst here at Freight Waves. He is lead economist Anthony Smith. We have a really special guest today. We're doing a reunion show. Our former co-host, the original name creator of Great Quarter Guys, Seth Holm, uh, is back with us. We're going to be talking about his fund, how he's doing in the fund, what his thoughts are on the market, um, what he's seeing from a macroeconomic perspective. Just dive into to all the things that are going on at Westbrow Cap. Uh, I do need to take a moment to thank my sponsor, DDC. This episode is brought to you by DDC FPO. DDC is a business process outsourcing provider that specializes in freight. Discover why today's top-rated LTL carriers rely on DDC FPO. Learn more at ddcfpo.com. Again, that's ddcfpo.com. I won't get too much into it, but today is a bit of a bittersweet episode. It'll be my last one here at Freight Waves. Um, for this show, we've got next week, we've got next Tuesday, uh, the F3, of course, virtual F3, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of next week. Definitely tune into that. If you're not registered, go to live.freightwaves.com to register for that. We've got a r- ridiculous cast, including, actually, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil it, but just check it out, the agenda there. Uh, you can see all of our, uh, all the incredible speakers we have. So we got one chart of the day for you, then we got a, a congestion check, check in on the San Pedro Bay. Uh, the first chart I have for you is Sonar. We're looking at uh, ocean rates. Over the past few years, uh, we can go ahead and pop it up. Looking at ocean rates for the past few years, blue line is, of course, this year, and the three previous, the three lines below, uh, yellow being 2020, orange 2019, and green 2018. I just brought this up because thinking back to the early days of this show, um, not only were Seth and I and Kevin not, uh, we're still not ocean freight experts by any means, but we at least can speak about it. Back then, we didn't speak about it at all because Look, I mean, look at the lines. <laughs> there was not much to speak about. It was just kind of a, an average cost that you had 5% of your value. That's what you're bringing it over. And now it has become the world. And that's, we've got, you know, uh, whether it be New York Times opening up logistics posts and having people, you know, full-time writers now, uh, everybody is diving into logistics full bore. And uh, kudos to Craig for being about five years early on that. But 100%, 100%. Yeah, just as you mentioned, it's funny how things kind of shift because it wasn't on the radar before. Now it's the talk of the town. And the greater supply chain, 100%. I have one quick chart here from nice. my chart of the day, and it is going to be around the ISM PMI. So usually I pair this up with Fotri um, because I love Fotri. I love flatbed. Um, but with this one, I have the ISM PMI. So for those of you who may not check in on this index, it is essentially, real quick, a diffusion index based on the number 50, 50 and above is expansion within manufacturing. 50 or below 50 is a negative of contraction. So this particular component I have up here is new orders, which fell 6.9 percentage points down to 59.8. So still in a growth uh, uh, territory territory in this growth mode. But that's a pretty drastic drop of and uh, in, in the percentage points showing that there was a retreat and those new orders pull, uh, being pulled in. One of the big things I'm wondering is because I was anticipating a slowdown going into 2022 for manufacturing, things like that. But are these purchasing managers slowing down those new orders because of uh, they haven't even received some of their first or second or third round of orders? They're still waiting on that backlog to work through. And they don't even know if they're going to be even some of these new orders may be canceled or backlogs may be canceled. Or are they starting to say, all right, I got to tail back a little bit on uh, my, my purchasing. Either way. Raw materials are going to be flowing through the economy, through flatbed. Those volumes are going to remain elevated. Capacity is going to remain tight. But this is an interesting point right here within that index is those new orders starting to come down. Were there any, um, you know, survey uh, statements or anything that said, you know, any f- from purchasing managers that were saying, hey, this is why that we thought new orders fell? Or is it just kind of 
didn't really know. No, nothing around that. A lot of the comments were around uh, supply chain, uh, supply chain uh, constraints, things like that. Um, a lot of expectation that business is going to continue to be booming in 2022, things like that. So um, a lot of the demand uh, is going to be really ramping up price increases. So all the usual suspects in terms of talking points, but nothing really about peeling back their, their new orders just all right. yet. All right. Well, Anthony, thanks for that. Let's go ahead and bring in Seth. We are excited to talk to you. Seth, what's up, my man? Not too much. Good to see you, Andrew. Anthony? Good to see you as well. Hey, uh, we're going to play Buy Sell with a company that uh, you and I both know pretty well. I don't know if you listened to the call yesterday. It is Under Armour. Uh, we're we're kind of just buying or selling the idea that they are doing pretty well, that their supply chain is not as constrained as everybody else's right now. So while other retailers have been hurt by factory shutdowns in Vietnam, Under Armour didn't raise a concern uh, on their Q3 earnings call about supply chain difficulties. Are you buying or selling that? Uh, I'm buying. I think Under Armour has a good thing going. They're turning around the business. Uh, it's getting the momentum back, and they seem to be uh, executing better. I, I wish I owned it. I don't. Um, I think it's up about 15% right now. I have I have not listened to the call. But, um, yeah, you're right. That I mean, if you had a lot of uh, factory uh, exposure, and particularly in footwear, which is um, concentrating in Vietnam, um, you've been having problems. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look at Nike never gets downgraded because it has a very, you know, sophisticated supply chain. It's gotten downgraded a couple times this year by, by different people. Uh, and Under Armour, yeah, they've said all year that they are in a better position than some of their competitors because they're not as reliant on Vietnam. I think they only make about a third of their shoes in Vietnam where Nike makes half and uh, Under Armour has some factories in I think even South America and other places. So a little bit more diversified there. All right, Seth, let's let's talk about the fund. So uh, for those who haven't seen you on the show, if any, any new listeners so you left to go start Westboro Capital. What is the mission of the fund? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm hesitant to. This is y'all's show. I don't want to necessarily oh, no. promote. We this brought too you much, on. But, uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, so I, I moved up. My wife's from Chattanooga. We moved up, um, and I joined Freightwaves. But um, this is what I did before I was at Freightwaves, which is um, long short equity uh, head fund, and uh, we basically tried to buy stocks that we think are going up and, and, and short ones that we think are going down. And um, it's a really good environment right now because I learned transportation, uh, you know, a lot about it at Freight Waves. And clearly there's there's not much of a better time to be long a lot of transportation. So we're making some good money uh, as a lot of these, you know, crazy rates, uh, you know, feed into the, these LTL business models and truckload and everything else. So it's going well so far. We, uh, we just started about three months ago on August 1st. And, um, you know, it's a small operation, but, um, you know, off to a good start. It's good to hear. So uh, what have you, what have you learned so far, I guess, in your, in your first three months? Can you, uh, you got any learnings that you can share with us? Yeah, let me think. I mean, you know, raising money is hard. Um, <laughs> surprise. Um, that, that's one. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and there's a lot of difference. Uh, you know, Andrew, I think you're coming over to my side of the world. There's a lot of difference between kind of being an analyst and um, being a portfolio manager, that's a huge jump. It's uh, you're kind of the man in charge and you, know, you get the credit and all the blame at the same time. So it can be more stressful. And, um, you know, you got to spend, you can't, uh, as an analyst, you can spend, uh, you know, I used to spend two weeks to a month, like learning every single thing possible about a company, but um, you know, I, I don't, I can't do that anymore. Uh, so I have to sort of rely a lot on, um, my historical experience and knowledge and that sort of thing and, and, and make informed judgments, but with a little bit less work, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just different. 
So on that theme, um, you know, having to rely on historical knowledge, <clears throat> what is your historical knowledge telling you right now? Are you as bullish as, as others are right now? Are you starting to see signs that worry you? What are your overall thoughts on the market right now? Yeah, um, I think I think we saw it slow, you know, just starting from the top macroeconomically. Uh, I think we saw, you know, the economy slow in Q3 because, you know, you got a resurgence in, in the Delta variant, uh, which has sort of gotten under control. The numbers are much better uh, recently. I think they're down 40 or 50 percent month on month. I don't watch them like a hawk or anything. But, um, you know, uh, at, at the same time, um, you know, you've had all this government stimulus, which is starting to come off, which has created basically the biggest inflationary backdrop in the in the U.S., call it the last 10 years. But, um, you know, you're starting to get uh, into decades high in inflation. Uh, and I think that's here to stay. And a lot of that I'm sure you guys talk about constantly. It's, you know, it's centered around labor and and transportation and freight and uh, and rising input costs. Um, and so I don't think that's going away. But the good news is my view on the economy is that I think that we're going to accelerate uh, in in Q4, which is why I think the market you know was up seven percent in in October, because you're starting to see some really good earnings results. And despite all these huge cost pressures, most companies, um, uh, the retail backdrop that you know really well, Andrew, like a lot of these guys can't get things in the on the shelves. But I would say the overall U.S. economy very constructive and, and bullish on. Uh, things get a little bit dicier at, in the back half of next year, uh, just because you'll have more difficult comparisons. You'll have no go- government stimulus uh, and that sort of thing. Um, and, and, you know, on the transportation market, my thoughts have kind of been, you know, uh, I, I, I'm starting to think that all of this is going to last through the end of 2022. Um, and that's what a lot of the management teams um, I listened to on a lot of transportation earnings calls think as well. Um, you know, um, on some of that ocean container stuff, it seems like it's finally starting to loosen up a little bit. Uh, I noticed that that, I think it was the Drury rate you showed at the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, has just started to tick down a little bit. But, um, you know, overall, uh, I'm bullish on the economy and the stock market. Um, I don't I don't see any sort of red flags, at least not in the near term. But before, I, before you hop on something with macro, Anthony, so Seth, you're telling me that the market was up 7% in October and it had nothing to do with the McRib. Have you seen that stat, by the way? Oh, I can't believe I'm the throwing McRib? It. Yeah, I can't believe I'm throwing you a curveball. No. There's like on days that the McRib is out, uh, the S&P has outperformed non-days that the, that the McRib is out by like 2x. It's like just this crazy chart. Never mind, I thought I was going to. Anthony, go ahead. Yeah, yeah they, they keep, no, I know what you're talking about. There's also like the most famous one is like if the, in it, I forget which one it is, but if the NFC team wins the Super Bowl, then the stock market has a good year. And if, if the vice versa, it has a really bad year. And uh, I don't remember which one, but yeah, there's all, there's all kinds of uh, data mining you can do. It probably has no, you know, underlying yeah. economic basis or correlation, but um you know, you can find some interesting patterns. Yeah, it's fun though. Go ahead, Anthony. I'll take a leading indicator any way I can get it. I mean, if it (laughs) works, it works. But Seth, I'm curious to hear from you. So I share a lot of the same sentiments and looking at next year, seeing it as a a growth year, bullish on a lot of the trends going into 2022 and throughout. I think there's going to be some slight slower growth. Um, As you mentioned, there's going to be some harder comps to go up against, especially towards the latter half of the year. Um, but curious on your your end, um, can you talk to some of the potential headwinds on the retail side, particularly with consumers looking at the savings rate starting to come back down, as you mentioned, 
less stimulus dollars in the economy right now, where I think the savings rate got back to pre-pandemic levels now at 7.4%. Are you seeing this as a potential game changer with that savings rate getting back down there? Or do you think that, you know, we can kind of really kind of push through it, more people kind of going back to work, um, consumer confidence really remaining elevated, lower COVID levels, but curious to hear from your perspective. Yeah. I think we've lost Seth for a moment. So uh, we'll, we'll come back to Seth here in just a second. We'll do, uh, we'll do one UK or NAW, and uh, we'll bring Seth back on here in a second. So uh, Seth, uh, I mean, uh, Anthony, rather. So one of these UK or NAWs I had was, so Amazon on their Q3 earnings call, they spoke about labor constraints obviously being really tough. They actually said it was their biggest constraint. And what do you think about this? They've, due to their labor constraints, they've actually had to start redirecting inventory, not because of where they have to bring it in in the country, but because of where they actually have fulfillment centers staffed. I found that quite interesting, and I thought you might too, just from like a regional uh, labor you know, constraint perspective. Yeah, I think it's incredibly interesting. And I think the big thing to note for Amazon is that Amazon is going to be able to do things that no one else is going to be able to do. And that's going to be with getting solutions uh, for these issues and also pulling in uh, employees. So they might have a pay structure that's incredibly um, you know, attractive compared to uh, a comparable, uh, say, a smaller competitor or something like that. So they're going to be able to do things that not everyone else is going to be able to do. How about your opinion on this? Like people, whatever your opinion on Amazon is, they do go in and set high rates and they hire a lot of people and they almost drag the market rate up with them. Like yeah. is that, you know, it, it, it's hard to say if like that is a good thing or a bad thing, but like what are your thoughts on that idea of them being a market setter and like not getting enough credit for it? Uh, so I think, so if Amazon... When I look at businesses and large corporations really being able to do that, I wouldn't be surprised if Amazon was really pushing for, say, something like a $25 minimum wage or something like that. They could take that hit. They would also be able to drown out a lot of their right. competition, and now they can't uh, really operate. And they'll gladly take that hit because they're still going to be profitable at the end of the day. So I think it's smart on their end. They'll be able to drown out some competition, squeeze their margins down, and really continue to grow. Yeah, offensive defense. Like they did the same thing, you know, thinking about Prime Day in the middle of the summer this year, like when, it, you know, when they when they were planning their deals, it was when parcel capacity was at its tightest. Yeah. <laughs> they were just like, hey, we actually have our own parcel capacity that we can yeah. lean on, uh, and you guys don't. So, uh, yeah, they're offensive defense, not bad. Uh, do we have Seth back, guys? No, if we brought him back. No, I don't think so. So let's... Uh, Let's go on to another you care or not. Now, this one I love. I should have got a picture for this. I love this, and I'm so excited that it's happening at Walmart so that it will be well-priced. <laughs> Walmart and Sam's Club have teamed up to launch an Elton John eyewear line, his debut eyewear line, which is crazy to me. Like, he's had the craziest sunglasses for 70 years now. He's never had his own line. I love it, and they're going to do it at Walmart, so you know you're going to get good scale on this, and um, I think it's going to make Walmart, I don't know, Walmart eyewear a lot cooler. What do you think? 100%. So I'm surprised that Elton John went this direction as opposed right? to just going like small boutique, crazy prices. But for sure, as you mentioned, Respect. it's going to be an incre incredible uh, span here to really kind of get it out into the masses. But like you said, Elton John's eyewear uh, has no rivals. It's in a league of its own. No, so. agreed. Uh, other than maybe Harry Styles. He's trying to bite, <laughs> bite off there. So 36 exclusive um, to Sam's Club, 24 exclusive to Walmart. So 60 frames uh, in total. And, you know, it is going to be between $95 and $100. But I think that might come... Uh, it, they're also going to do prescription and stuff like that. So you can go... In, they're, they're trying to build out their, you know, their services. Is really We've been speaking about this with Walmart for 
it's like three years now, uh, just like Amazon. Look to, um, look to Amazon just yesterday or just last week when they did their Q3 earnings call, first quarter ever, where services revenue was higher than, than product revenue. Uh, although Walmart will get product revenue from selling these glasses, yeah. they are also trying to get those subscription revenues for eye, for, for eye care. Uh, same thing with they're rolling out veterinary care. They're doing much more healthcare services, banking services. They had the deal with Ribbit Capital, who has, uh, they've backed Robinhood and several other fintech companies. So they're doing a lot to try to build out more consumer services. Amazon is still, still for the most part, focused on services for other businesses other than Amazon Prime. I mean, that's definitely a consumer, but um, the bulk, a lot of their uh, growth is coming from Amazon Web Services and also from their fulfillment services and such. So was, did you say that Walmart is a tech company? I bet, me, that's one of the, me and Seth's. We've been calling that for a long, for a time. long they do time. not right? get They do not get uh, the respect they deserve. Uh, Walmart Technologies, they have a whole global uh, technology office out in Silicon Valley. Yeah. I think they've got 10 or 15,000 engineers working there. They get absolutely no credit for it because they just, you know, people see them as the, the big grocer, uh, right. big box store. But, but no, they have incredible technology when, and they've been doing partnerships just like Amazon, a slew of them. They've got four or five different um, autonomous partners that they're trying out stuff with four or five different uh, eVTOL and, yeah. and drone partners. So yeah, they've got a huge part of technology center. 100%. All right. So let's, we got one more you care or not here. I wanted to get Seth's thoughts on this, but we might not have, uh, might not get him back. I think internet has uh, not been kind to us today, but this one is on American Eagle. So we, I think if we broke this story or didn't break the story, but we had a story on, on FreightWaves.com this morning about this. American Eagle has really taken an effort to own more of its supply chain. So they, they bought a company several months ago, uh, early I think in early August, called AirTerra, a logistics operation. And then just yesterday, the news broke that they are also acquiring another one here. And this company, it was a, it was a pretty big acquisition. I believe it was $350 million for a quiet logistics and strategic investments. These companies, this, this company, uh, Quiet Logistics, they build kind of state-of-the-art technology and robotic centers. So we're, we're talking about fulfillment centers that are highly automated. Um, and they've been working with American Eagle for several years now. And American Eagle kind of just said, hey, uh, this, this could be an advantage to us. And eventually, maybe we could sell some of the additional space we have in our, um, our footprint to other retailers if they have it. And so they went ahead and, and bought this company for $350 million. And I love the move. Um, yeah. I really do. I wanted to get Seth's thoughts, but we'll have to, we'll have to get him on again soon. Um, but yeah, what do you think about just the idea of retailers taking on more of their supply chain? No, I love it. I love it because so got me a, a pair of American jeans on right now, American Eagle jeans they on make right great now. Jeans. They're they're comfortable stuff. And so, but the thing I love when I go into um, a retailer, brick and mortar, is if they have their stuff there. The other thing that I would love is I think we chatted on another episode of Great Quarter Guys was if they could pull this stuff in more immediately. So I hate when I go in, they don't have my size or whatever the item is for sale that I see on the mannequin looking dope. I'm like, yo, I want that. Don't have it in stock, but you can go to the store 80 miles away or we can mail it to you. It should be here sometime next week. If they could say something like, it'll be here tomorrow. I'm like, all right, I'm in, bet, let's do this. But if it's, you know, so that's why I love this move. I love the convenience. I love from a user perspective, but yeah, it just does, this makes sense and I like it. Yeah, see, I was, just a, a quick anecdotal story, I was trying to buy a t-shirt, right, not a t-shirt, but a button-up shirt for a wedding I went to last weekend, and I thought, you know, I know that we're having supply constraints, but there's a certain type of shirt, the cutaway collar, I looked everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was sold out on Amazon, sold out at Macy's, JCPenney's, found one at Men's Warehouse, not a single of the three Men's Warehouses in Chattanooga had it uh, in stock here. So I looked at all the ones in Nashville. Nobody had it in stock. They had it, it, they had it somewhere in stock at a, at a warehouse somewhere. And 
Uh, the only way they could get it to me, they said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll send it to you. We'll be there by Friday. The wedding was on Saturday. Yeah. I wake up Friday morning and says, okay, it'll be here at November 4th. And I was like, this is, I mean, it's just, it's the, I wasn't so mad about it not getting here. I was mad about them telling me it was going to be here. Yeah. Like if you just, if you know it's not going to be here, don't tell me that it's going to be here the day when I actually need it. Uh, all right. So we got Seth back. Uh, we'll bring him in for the last couple minutes here and round up the show. Sorry about that, Seth. That's all right. Been so, talking to the tech guy. I think something on the back end kind of crashed. Yeah. Or yeah. It's got to, we, we got to crash. Uh, live podcasting, man. Uh, so let's, let's talk about transportation segment uh, in particular. Um, you know, LTL has been a huge winner, especially ArcBest posted huge earnings the other day and the, uh, the Molo uh, acquisition. What do you think about ArcBest and, and LTL in general? Well, full disclosure, I own a lot of ArcBest. I really like it. Um, I, I like that Molo acquisition. Um, you know, um, Andrew Silver, uh, you know, I think it's built a great fast growing company there. And um, I think uh, it has the ability to sort of transform um, ArcBest. It, it, they're already doing a great job. Uh, their, their asset heavy LTL operations are, are hitting on all cylinders. They're, uh, you know, I think they grew revenue like 30% year on year and they expanded their, uh, their or brought down their OR by several hundred basis points year on year, like a lot of people. So I like that one. Uh, LTL. LTL in general uh, is doing really well. Uh, a lot of it's pricing, interestingly. So if you look at the revenue per hundred weight, um, a lot of times that's uh, where a lot of the revenue is coming from. Uh, but I also like LTL um, in comparison to uh, to truckload. Um, I like the industrial element of LTL. I think it has more uh, sort of legs in terms of runway. Uh, if if that you know the everybody's been predicting that things would at some point shift to services from goods. Uh, if that happens, I think uh, LTL is better positioned. Yeah, somehow we just keep buying electronics. And I mean, we looking at that uh, that Bank of America data, it's like we're still 30% up year over year, just cannot stop buying enough electronics. Seth, is there anything uh, you're looking towards in 2022 that you don't like? Is there something that you're just kind of running away from or you'd be looking to short in 22? Not specific company, but but thematic. In transportation, uh you know, I'd avoid the container shipping area just because I think a lot of those stocks have a lot of leverage, not operational and financial leverage, and they're up five or 10x year on year. And not not so much the big ones, but some of the smaller guys where their stocks uh, literally are up from 15 to 100 and, and something like that. I don't know that I'd short them because you could get your face ripped off doing <laughs> that if uh, if things continue. But uh, I certainly would not be long them in any uh, in any big size because I do think eventually, um, you know, that whole uh, that I know there's no chassis right now amongst, you know, 10 other. There's no warehouse workers. There's no nothing on the Mm -hmm. on the West Coast. Eventually, there's not going to be 80 ships or whatever the number is uh, locked at board and then. Uh, some of that stuff's going to clear up. And I think that will actually make way for a better year for the rails because I think uh, the rails have actually surprisingly underperformed. Uh, and, you know, there's been a lot of intermodal congestion holding that. And then they've yeah. been hurt by uh, the uh, the semiconductor shortages in autos where mm-hmm. they haven't been able to, you know, um, to transport any of those autos. Um, and so I think they'll, and then energy prices are way up. So I really like rails going in 2022. I'd probably avoid container shipping, although certain areas of shipping that I don't know that well, to be honest, but like, you know, some of the bulk, uh, the bulk guys are better positioned than shipping. 
All right, Seth, I forgot uh, to do a congestion check earlier, by the way. We have uh, 100 ships at anchor, and of those, uh, 73 are container ships uh, in the San Pedro Bay right now. That's up, I think, four from our check last week. So not, not really pushing through that congestion anywhere. Seth, thanks so much for your time today, man. This was great. Yeah, happy to do it, guys. And uh, Andrew, best of luck. Anthony, good to see you. Uh, good seeing you. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yes, sir. All right, everyone, go and sign up for F3. Uh, that's going to start next Tuesday at 9 a.m. live.freightwaves.com. That's been it for episode 91. Go Braves! Go Braves!